You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. Today on our show, I'm talking with Grace Lee Lawrence. Grace Lee, thanks so much for being with me today. Oh, so happy to be here. Thank you. Grace Lee, we're talking about your show, um, your beautiful show at Heroes Gallery um, on Allen Street in New York. Let's jump right into it. This is a show that's a kind of a, of a dialogue with Marisol, right? This isn't a, a typical one-person show or a typical two-person show. Uh, this is a show that's about a dialogue between two artists, correct? Correct, yes. And I'm so thrilled to be showing alongside Marisol Escobar's work, which has long been a super important reference in my kind of sculptural constellation. And I was really excited when Harriet of Heroes invited me to do a show and then it became my responsibility to think about and, and find a historical artist that I felt like had an important and perhaps surprising dialogue with my work, um, and I chose Marisol's work. So, and then, and then what happened to me, I'm so fascinated about how this show came together. So then the, uh, the work by Marisol was all borrowed from what collectors or institutions. How, how does that work? Because that's kind of a, right. you're, you're dialoguing with a historic artist whose works are... I would, I would imagine, largely out of the market. Completely. Yes, it's an interesting set of circumstances I'm in how Harriet has set up the gallery, and she has a, quite a complicated network that she follows in order to find the work. But in the case of Marisol's work, I was particularly drawn to her sculptural work, especially her earlier sculptural work that's primarily carved wood. And that was the work that I became very uh, besotted with actually when I was an undergrad when I was around 20 and I was doing my art history minor and um, spent quite a lot of time thinking and writing about her work particularly those those um, autobiographical sculptures and so we were trying to find a sculpture that is quite a difficult process and actually it ended up that just logistically that wasn't going to work so Harriet was able to find a series of beautiful lithographs prints instead and they actually came from a print dealer in the city so we were able to borrow them for the exhibition which is a really wonderful situation so i, I want to go through them and, and talk about the work but the the sculpture which which of course comes to mind when i think of marisol too that had such an impression mm -hmm. on me um mm -hmm. what what attracted you to that sculpture at a at an earlier time in your career that was sounds like that was really your initial initial draw it was it was so at that time in my own work i was actually making fully abstracted geometric welded forms that i then had powder coated so there was very much about bodies and the relationship between bodies and and kind of like family and sexuality but it was very um coded and covered by this system that i had decided to work in aesthetically so when I learned about Marisol's work and her own relationship to representation in her work, which I'll, I'll get to in a bit, it's a really interesting aspect of, of the way that her um, representative sculptures behave, I was so excited by the partial you know, abstraction and um, sense of skew that she brought to the forms, where often in her earlier really well-known work that I'm sure you're familiar with, she has cast plaster faces and hands that are then attached to these kind of simplified blocky body forms. And so she's, she's taking 
the core idea of the body structurally and replacing that with these kind of larger hewn chunks of wood and then in some pieces it's cast metal and bronze but but the work that she was doing herself was primarily wood so the way that she was able to translate these quite complicated and intimate ideas of body and relationship into these simplified forms I found so fascinating and also the way that she primarily dealt with the representation of specific bodies in her work was that almost all of the faces and hands in her work are her own. So there are many pieces where she's representing herself, her mother, um, other people in her family, a mother, a child, etc., and yet all the faces are hers. And she talks about this as, you know, that at 3 a.m. in the studio, she was who was available, um, which I I also really identify with. But also I I think that there's this interesting kind of... um, underlying sense of self-portraiture happening in the work. No, that's so interesting. So, so let's talk about how your work dialogued with her. So these, these prints mm-hmm. are borrowed, and, um, and then your work um, is, is in conversation with it, but how did that, how did that come to be? And, and we could start mm-hmm. by talking about a specific work, like punching a hole in the darkness. Um, oh, sure. How, mm-hmm. yeah, how that, how that kind of relates to her. And, and, I mean, the materials are fascinating, too, because that's all 3D printed, right? The punching a hole in mm-hmm. darkness to begin with, I know, I think almost all of the works were, but that's... Um... Yes, yes. All of the work in the show, except for the UV prints on acrylic, everything else that I've made is 3D printed. And so, actually, that's a wonderful piece to start talking about, because I feel like it has a lot of relationship with these pieces of hers that I found so engaging early on, and that the way that these larger scale, often wall, but sometimes floor conglomeration pieces work is I'm starting with a 3D scan of my own body. So I'm starting with a gesture, a pose, a moment, a kind of an arrangement of my own form that is then 3D scanned, and I'm working with this kind of skewed information that's coming from the 3D scan in order to translate it into a sculptural form. So I found this beautiful affinity with the way that she also is replicating her own body using casting, um, and I'm replicating my body with this, this newer process but feels very similar in in the kind of moments of slippage that happen. So, you know, in casting, there's a lot of accuracy and perfection, but there are also these moments of, of kind of shift or accident that happen. And I, and I think that there are some quite interesting parallels to the way that digital fabrication, 3D scanning, 3D printing behaves, that you have something that has some level of accurate representation or recreation, but then there are also these moments of, of chance or happenstance or error that I find really exciting. So the, the base in the way that her body is embedded in the work and the way that my body is embedded in the work I think is a really beautiful parallel, but then also she's very much dealing with emotional content and complicated interpersonal content and the way that her work is behaving. And that's very much how I think about some of the content of my work as well. And I think the bravery of of her in those topics, especially much earlier on, I mean, she was making this work in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and, you know, on into the 90s and early 2000s, um, was a really important touchstone for me as I was thinking about 
female-identified folks making sculpture and thinking about who who was a predecessor that I could look to. I mean, Louise Bourgeois, amazing. Um, true for, for many, many people. I feel like Marisol's work is a little bit less known and, and a bit unsung, um, but has such a similar amount of kind of bravery and power in the way that it behaves. Absolutely. That's so interesting. And so to talk a little bit more about the process of 3D printing, where, as you're saying, there's surprises in there, which you know, almost seems like the way that happens in printmaking. It doesn't come out exactly as you intended. So, um, you know, to continue speaking about, you know, that same, that same work, punching a hole in the darkness, that seems so complex, really. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how does that work? These are, these are designed first, and then they're slowly built and when they're when they're I mean I don't know much about 3D printing when it's printing mm-hmm. it comes out with the color and everything on there or then there or is it then worked on top of that so the way that this piece was made and it's similar in process to the rest of the work in the show um, with the exception of the 3D scan of my body being embedded in this one so I'm starting with this the 3D scan of my body in this specific pose so you know it's elbows out um, neck back in this case i've i've skewed the body forward a little bit so there's no head and there are these natural fault lines that occur in 3d scans especially the variety that i'm doing which is primarily photogrammetry and what that means is a series of photographs are taken of an object a body whatever the the focus point is and the overlapping data points become the surface that is recognized in creating the 3d scan and so when there are many overlapping data points, usually you have 100 plus photos that are being overlaid, then that becomes a really solid surface point that the program is able to understand. Well, of course, the human body cannot stay perfectly still. Um, And so what happens is there are these moments where the data points don't align exactly. So every time I breathe, of course, my, my core is shifting a little bit in the way that it's being held, you know, you can't, if you try to hold your arm out straight, it will never stay perfectly still. So every tiny micro movement becomes this little slippage in data in how the 3D scan is behaving. And actually, I, I love that about the 3D scanning because I think it's actually able to capture the aliveness of the human body rather than something that's super static. So really, the scans that I'm doing are capturing not just a moment of my existence, but you know, five minutes of my existence, and all of that's kind of condensed into this one scan. So that being said, the way that the scan behaves, and then taking that into several different programs, and they're primarily open source, free, or very inexpensive programs, which is an important part of how I think about digital fabrication. Um, I really think that there are all of these wonderful resources that aren't wildly expensive, and so I like to utilize them in the way my practice behaves. But So I'm pushing them in and out of these different softwares in order to either morph the form, I'm encouraging some of these moments of slippage. So in the piece we're speaking about, there are these kind of cutout areas where the data had been either spotty or perhaps a little bit lost in the 3D scan, and I'm encouraging those areas to increase because I'm, I'm so excited about how the form then almost becomes like the edge of a map or the edge of a lake. You know, there, there are these kind of um, 
situations of removal or or it feels like it's being eaten into. And so that is really occurring because of this this situation of, of data shifting that I'm encouraging over the course of making the piece. So once I get the object into a place that I'm happy with, in the case of this one, I put it into a virtual reality sculpting program, and that's where these twisting kind of antler coral forms came from. So I added them onto the body form and shifted them and morphed them and smoothed them until they got to the right place. And then I'm bringing it back into the last program, which is Rhino, um, a program that primarily is used for jewelry design and architectural planning, but it allows you to do some very accurate and measured work. And so that's where I'm slicing the form. So I'm taking it in and then I'm slicing it into pieces that are able to fit onto my 3D printer. And so the way that this work is kind of showing itself as almost a quilted form or tiles is a choice that I've very clearly made, but it also is related to the scale of the consumer-grade printers that I'm using. So it's, it's a part of this ideology of access that's very important to me and how my work is behaving. I mean, I'm using printers that are, I mean, they're good quality, but they're primarily used as kind of hobbyist printers. And so I'm... I'm, I'm taking these methods, programs, technologies that are primarily meant for very different use and bringing them into the world of sculpture. So that's a quick overview, but also, oh, I need to add one more thing, in that the material that I'm using, the 3D printer filament, I'm using PLA plastic, and PLA plastic is polylactic acid, and it's actually a bioplastic, so it's not a petrochemical. And it's made from primarily fermented cornstarch. So there's this beautiful relationship, I mean problematic, but also beautiful relationship to the agro-industrial complex, to GMO corn farming, because essentially this bioplastic was created because we have such a glut of that material in the world. So the filament, also a question that you had, is already holding the characteristics that you see in the final form. So I'm not doing any surface shifting or application of color what I do is I do quite a bit of, of research and collection and, and testing of different filaments until I find the right one for any given object. So how the filament arrives to me on its spool, it's kind of like a large spool of thread, um, is exactly how it ends up on the final form. That's fascinating. That's just such a fascinating process. So, um, so let's keep talking about that in, in the context of other things. It's it's really so interesting and such an unusual process. So um, to talk about one like Just a Little Fever, which is another, um, another very large one, um, 3D printed. Uh, yeah, can, can we talk about that and how it relates um, or if it does relate to something specific in the show by, by Marisol or, or how do you see that in the context of Marisol? Oh, of course. I mean, we can go anywhere with sure. that. Yeah. So that piece has a really exciting connection to her prints um, in that there's this, I mean, in, in an obvious sense, because there's this twisting form that's happening in many of her lithographs that are in the show, like her piece Untitled 3 that's from 1979. is a series of, it's hard to say how many body forms, three, four, five, <laughs> they're all kind of overlaid, and many different hands that are pulling into them. These body forms that are twisted within each other, there's kind of this tornado um, situation that's happening within these bodies. And so that work 
is beautifully referential to the way that this piece behaves in that there's a twisted body form that's the kind of silver holographic object on top of the green pedestal that is also a 3D scan of my body that I've then taken and shifted and inverted and pressed and cued so that it does have this beautiful similarity to the way that her body forms are behaving in the prints. Now this piece, unlike the rest of the work in the show that I've made, has been surface finished. So it has a little bit of a different tone because you can't see the 3D printer lines in the way that you can with the other work. So it's been coated with predominantly um, aqua resin and then sanded, painted, etc. So it has a little bit more of a kind of crisp um, auto coat finish comparatively. Yeah, that's 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 what's really interesting. So you said auto coat finish. What what does that mean? So what I'm doing with this type of work is instead of a finish that would be like a acrylic paint, which I'm sometimes using, or latex paint, I'm using specialty auto coat products. So the twisted kind of grayish silver form on top that has a holographic coating. So it has this really kind of deep, complex set of colors that shifts as the light passes from different angles. So I'm using these products that are very much meant for custom motorcycles or custom car painting. But the way that they're able to deal with light, I think, has a lot of similarity to the way that rendered objects look in digital space. So if you've ever looked at a rendering and you've thought, oh, there's something just a little bit off about this, it's often that the light doesn't reflect or refract against the objects in the rendering quite in the same way that it would in physical reality. And by using these specialty auto coats and also the specialty filament that I'm using that often has a similar sense of, of bouncing of light, it has a relationship with this false light that happens in digital space. So often the colors and finishes and, and different levels of shine essentially that are happening in my work, it's supposed to be talking about this relationship to the you know, false reality of digital space, or really it's not a false reality, but it's its own reality. And, and it gives us cues about the way that it's behaving. So the auto paint is able to capture these qualities in a way that is both quite eye-catching, but then also has these, these sub-commentaries about the way that image and refraction in digital space behave. I love that. That's, it's, such a, it's such a fascinating um, way of, of, of working in general, but also you know, in, in dialogue with, with Marisol. Is there another piece in here you want to talk about in terms of how it, how it created a dialogue for you or, or how... Marisol in particular um, is somehow embedded or, or talking to it? Yes. Let me pull the title up. Okay, yes, super. So there's a UV print, and the title is As If Nakedness Was a Form of Clothing, and it's a kind of stretched body that seems to be a kind of pink and red and orange body that's frolicking in this field of falling foliage. And as soon as I knew which prints we would be getting for the show of Marisol's, I made this piece very much thinking about the way that color behaves 
in these pieces of her work that we have in the show. There's this kind of vibrancy and urgency in the way that the strokes are behaving, you know, the, the kind of texture of the pieces. But then also I very much wanted to have a piece that felt as though it was dealing with the form of the body in a way that felt directly referential to her work. So this piece is very much in that world. And then also the frame. So it's a, a UV print on acrylic in the center, and then the frame is 3D printed. The frame has a variety of filament that's a tricolor. So depending on what side of the object you're looking at, the color will change based on the way that it's been printed. And so the, the frame itself also has a little bit of a kind of holographic and um, almost magical quality that I feel like her work does as well, where perspective is being skewed and crushed and compressed and twisted. And so I was trying to bring some of these ideas that I saw from her work into this piece. And that's, that's, that's really clear. And in, in total, I mean, in, in stepping back from this show, the, the show's up, it, it's hung, there's this whole dialogue that we're talking about and this new work. Um, for you, after the show is hung and once it's up, was there something that shifted or changed because of the whole dialogue with Marisol, the whole idea? Was there something that, that you learned that you didn't know before, not necessarily about Marisol, but, but about the dialogue that you're creating? Did that mm-hmm. conversation, in a sense, um, was it generative in some way that, that made you, I don't know, think differently, feel differently, or, or, or look to different places? I'm just curious how, how you digested mm-hmm. the whole show when it was, mm-hmm. when it was hung. Well, my first impression was surprise and delight with how well the work went together. I, I knew that I had this really strong connection to her work, and it's been something I've been thinking about, gosh, for what, 13-plus years now. But actually having her work and my work in the same space felt wildly exciting because I, I kept finding these points of connection, both, both in the aesthetics and the kind of formal decisions, but then also in the way that her body is behaving in the work. So another thing that I should add about the lithographs of hers that are in the show, and I did not realize this actually until they were on site and Harriet was talking to me about them, is that they're actually prints of her body. So she, she oiled her body, and then she pressed her body onto the stone and moved around and then worked into these prints of her own body that she made on the stone, um, which it's fantastic and actually has this incredible parallel to the way that 3D scanning is behaving in my work. So these these bits of process and information and kind of skew and, and presence of her own form in the work became even stronger once I was with them in person, but then also learning more about how she worked and, and the way that her kind of embodiment was intentionally placed into the work. And not necessarily that that becomes the content, though, and I think that's quite important. You know, her, her form is so present in the work, but they're not self-portraits, and she's not necessarily trying to talk about her own experience at all times, but instead this idea of the female form. And that's very similar to the way that I want my work to behave, that I am replicating myself, but it's not necessarily about me. It becomes a stand-in for this greater set of questions about body and agency and identity. Thank you so much. That's so fascinating to hear. And I, I wish you well with this show um, that's up for a few more days. And I, I want to ask you one last question, a little off topic. Mm-hmm. But what are you reading at the moment? So 
currently I have a really wonderful series of books that I, I go back to time and time again, and it's called The Edible Series. It's by Reaction Press, um, Reaction with a K, out of the UK. And currently I'm reading Edible Flowers, A Global History. I love this edible series. It's, it's such an important touchstone for me in researching the way that my the, the content of my work behaves, so trying to understand the global and pretty much every single time colonialist history of how food and, and other edible plants are distributed in the world. Um, and so I'm, I'm partway through this Edible Flowers book and thinking about the way that flowers are very present in some work that I'm currently making. Grace Lee, I want to thank you so much for talking with me today. Um, beautiful, beautiful show you've put together. Thanks so much for your time. Oh, thank you. It's been great. You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more.